Well, thank you, guys. And um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to take them out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 is going to be where we're going to look at a story today where Jesus is kind of confronted with uh, tradition. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home with you because we would love to put... uh, a copy of God's Word in in your hand. As you're looking for Matthew chapter 15, let me just tell you, we're beginning a new sermon series today called The Enemies of the Heart. And part of the the core of who we want to be as a church is for you to get involved in a deeper Bible study than just Sunday morning. And so we have connection groups that meet throughout the week. And our current, uh, our last series, Sun Stand Still, was based upon a book by Stephen Furtick. And that study actually finishes up this week. And next week, we start some new connection groups. And so if you didn't want to jump in midstream on a study and you wanted a kind of a fresh start, next week is the time to do that. And so I would encourage you, if you're interested in being a part part of a small group on the bottom of your connection card, to uh, write, hey, I'm interested in a small group. If you're just not at the place right now where you can do that, uh, we do have a copy of the book that we'll be studying, and they're over on the counter. They're $10. We try to make those affordable for you and uh, put them in your hand. I'm not preaching exactly what's in this book, but the skeleton of what I'm going to be preaching over the next uh, couple weeks is what's in this book. So I'd encourage you, if you're a reader uh, and not able to be in a small group, then pick that up. If you want to be in a small group, you can get that book as well. Uh, and be a part of that, and we can we can let you know how you can be involved. Enemies of the heart, whether you knew it or not, there is a battle for your heart. There is a battle of what's going on in, in your heart and your life. And over the next weeks, we're actually going to be looking at some tough subjects of um, greed and jealousy and anger and some things that are just really kind of hard to talk about, but that we believe are a part of the struggle of what it means to walk with Jesus and be in this world and to, to be realistic, that we know that these are things that are attacking our hearts, my heart and your heart. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of deal with those tough subjects, uh, you know, guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. Those are not really things that you go, woohoo, I want to talk about those. But we know that they're necessary so that we can walk closer to Jesus. One of the questions that I want to begin this series with answering is, why is my heart so important? Why should I be concerned about my heart? Sometimes when we think about what the heart is, we kind of think about Valentine's Day or some little, you know, I'm a guy. And so when I think about a heart, sometimes the original thought is that it's some little girly thing with frilly stuff. And that's just not real exciting for me, honestly. I love my wife. I love my family. But I don't just sit around and make paper mache hearts uh, in my spare time. But what I do believe that the heart is, is that when we're honest, we realize that the heart is the center of who we are. If your physical heart, just put your hand on your chest right now, over your heart, if this stops, you're dead. Now, I'm not a doctor, but we've all seen that happen, okay? If your heart stops beating, you will stop living. I want you to know that when your spiritual heart stops, that you lose your connection. Now, you don't, I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but what I'm saying is that when your heart is not in the right place, you will never be in the place where Christ needs you to be. And so why is the heart important? Okay, if you're writing stuff down, I want you to write down Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 
Proverbs 4.23. Normally, I quote from the ESV. I'm going to teach you this verse in the NIV, and we're going to learn it this morning. It's really easy, okay? So what I want you to do is repeat after me, okay? Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Let's do that again. Above all else, guard your heart, because it is the wellspring of life. Okay, you guys need another cup of coffee. That was pretty poor. Here's what I want you to hear. Why is the heart important? Because it is the wellspring of life. It is the center of who you are. When your heart is not in the right place, when your heart is filled with darkness, when your heart is not filled with the good and the godly things that God wants it to be, you will never be able to live life as you are designed to. I want you to know this. Your heart is designed to be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's designed for. The world is spending time trying to pour things into their heart. And what they don't know is that it will never fit because your heart is meant to be filled by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus comes to the heart of the matter. Jesus is confronted uh, by some Pharisees and some scribes. But before we get to the passage that we're in, we have to look at the passage before. So if you're in Matthew chapter 14, just look back a few verses into Matthew chapter 14. Excuse me. If you're in 15, look in 14. And if you look at beginning in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14, there's an amazing story, okay? This is Jesus, Jesus the Son of God. And so in verse 22, it tells the story that the disciples are out on the, on the lake, they're out on the sea, and all of a sudden, Jesus walks up. Anybody in here walked on water? Okay, uh, I haven't either. I've done a little bit of uh, water skiing in my life, which was not a real successful thing. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not a small guy. But if, if you've ever been water skiing, one of the important things to learn is that when you fall, you need to let go of the rope or it will drag you to the bottom of the lake. Okay. When they're giving me all the instructions, okay, Doug, you get in the water, keep your ski tips up. I remember all of that. And then I just somehow did not hear let go of the rope. Okay. I know they said it, but I did not hear it. So what happened? They tried to pull me up out of the water. I fell down and then I, they drug me halfway to the bottom of the lake and they finally stopped the boat and I popped up to the top because I float. And, uh, and I realized, oh yeah, somebody said, let go of the rope, right? And so if you ever need to water ski and you fall, let go of the rope. I, I've, I've skidded across the water, but I have never walked on the water. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. And I, was not there when Jesus did that miracle. But is it not cool? Jesus is walking on the water. They're out in the boat. Here comes this guy. They think it's a ghost at first. Then they realize it's Jesus and Peter. The only, the only brave one, maybe crazy one in the boat says, Jesus, if that's really you, then let me come out on the water to you. Jesus said, hey boy, step out of the boat. Come on. And so Peter walks on the water. And you may say, yeah, but Peter fell in. Here's what I want you to know. There was only one guy that got out of the boat. So Peter had a cool story. When he sat with his grandkids later in life, he said, you know what? Um, I, I got out of the boat. I walked on the water. He had an amazing, incredible story of faith and trust in God. So this is the story that precedes this. Then if you look in verse 34, it says that after this experience, after Jesus walked on the water, after Peter walked on the water, they came to this town. And as they came to this town, Jesus had gained notoriety. He had, he had gotten a following. People knew who he was. They knew his name. And they knew the miracles that, that were going on in his life. And as he got to town, they, they started calling everybody and said, Jesus is in town. 
Jesus is in town. You, you got to come and see Jesus. And if you're sick and you need healing, then you need to come to Jesus. Look in verse 35. It says, And when the, the men of the place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that, he might only, that, that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched uh, the hem of his garment were made well. Here's what I want you to hear. In that verse, Jesus really, his intention was not to gain a crowd. He really, in my, in my best estimation, and people who are smarter than me, scholars, believe that Jesus really just kind of wanted to chill out with his homeboys. I mean, he, he really just wanted to get the disciples aside, and he wanted to just say, you know what, let's just relax let, let, let's just kind of kick back for a little while. I'm tired. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of things. And he gets to town, and then there's a crowd. And instead of Jesus saying, you know what? I'm tired. Make an appointment with my secretary, and I'll try to get to you healing later. Jesus said, okay, anybody that comes, I will heal. And what had happened, if you remember the story in Luke chapter 8, where the woman who had a blood issue had come to Jesus, and she didn't want to be seen, she was kind of embarrassed. And so the scripture in Luke chapter 8 says that when she touched the hem of his garment, her body was healed. Most people believe that that story had traveled, and now when he hit this town, people believed, hey, if I can just grab the edge of his garment, then I'll be healed. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus was a good Jewish man. He had grown up uh, in, in that religion, and Jews in that day and time, men, wore a garment. And at the bottom of that garment, there were some things that hung down that looked kind of like tasseled, and they were called zitzit. So would you say zitzit with me? You did better than that on the verse. The verse, you kind of got scrambled a little bit at the end, but you did really good on that. So now you know Hebrew. So if anybody asks you if you're multilingual, you now know a Hebrew word, zitzit, okay? I know you're all impressed. Okay, and so on the edge of his garment are these zitzit, and most scholars believe that what they're describing here and what the woman who touched the garment of Jesus in the crowd was that when they reached out, they grabbed the zitzit of Jesus. These zitzit were a command by God for Jewish people to wear to remember these tassels that hang down and would bang your leg, and sometimes they would hold them in their hands and they would they would kind of feel of them. They were to remind them that they were to follow the laws and the ways of God. And so these things had spiritual significance. They weren't just like, you know, extra frilly things on the side of a garment. They actually had a spiritual uh, uh, reason for being there. And most scholars believe that when Jesus showed up to town, people believed, hey, if I can just grab the zitzit of Jesus on the edge of the garments, the tassels on the back of Jesus' garment, on the sides of Jesus' garment, if I can just grab those, then the power of God will flow from heaven through Jesus into my life and I will be healed. And that's exactly what happened. If you look in verse 36, it says that as many were touched, the garment of Jesus, they were healed. Why is that important? Because Jesus walked on the water. Anybody walked on the water? No, we've already taken care of that. Jesus walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. He walks into a crowd, and if you just touched his garment, you would be healed. Now, look at verse chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. What? 
I mean, is anybody just puzzled? Is it just me? But Jesus just walks on the water. Peter walks on the water. People come in, they're touching Jesus' clothes, and they're getting healed. And they're worried about whether people are washing their hands. Is this the Purell police? I mean, is this the, you know, the, the soap guys that they want to make sure that everybody is, is doing the right thing? There, there is a tradition, and we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. But in my mind, what I'm thinking is, what, what difference does it make? Are your hands washed? Is that really where we should be focused when Jesus, the Son of God, come from heaven, taken upon the form of a man, is walking around, he's healing people? There's amazing things happen, and somebody wants to know if they washed their hands? I mean, for real. And these guys, they're, they're coming to Jesus, and, and what they are saying is, you know what, all that stuff, that show is good, but what about their traditions? What about the man-made rituals that we have put in place? Why is that not important? Jesus said that tradition is to be respected when it comes from God's word, but not when it's from man. Here's, here's, what, here's what one writer said about tradition. The tradition had disrupted God's intentions of what should have been happening. Tradition is something external, while God's truth is internal in the heart. People obey tradition to please men and to gain status in this world. But we obeyed the word of God to please God. Tradition deals with ritual, while God's truth deals with reality. Tradition brings empty words to the lips, but truth penetrates the heart and changes the life. Actually, tradition robs a person of the power of the word of God. Unfortunately, there are many evangelical traditions in churches today, man-made teachings that are often considered as authoritative as the Word of God. By obeying these traditions, Christians rob themselves of the power of God's Word. Here these guys show up and, you know, I'm standing back and I'm going, whoa, Jesus is amazing. He's walking on water, he's performing miracles, and what they're saying is, you know what, that's all well and good, but what about everything that we've always done? What about the traditions of what has happened for years and years? And they're not saying that Jesus is, is throwing away God's word, they're saying that, the, that he's throwing away the traditions of the church. Look at how Jesus responds, verse 3. He answered them, and he said, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles uh, father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is, from, is given to God. He, he need not honor his father, so that for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. And let me tell you what's going on here. You see, there's a biblical mandate that you are supposed to take care of your family. God said, hey, listen, as a good child, one of these days, your mom and your dad, your grandparents, they're going to get old, they're going to need to be cared for. In that day and time, there wasn't a system, a governmental system that just gave them assistance or would take care of them. Families took care of families, okay? And that sounds right. That's what we should do. We should take care of our families. In fact, there's places in scriptures that say that you're lower than low when you don't take care of your own family. But what had happened was there were people who were trying to gain notoriety and they were trying to gain wealth. And what they did was they said, you know what, I know I'm supposed to take care of mom and dad and these possessions would take care of them. But, you know, sorry, mom and dad, these things are dedicated to God. 
which sounds really holy, doesn't it? I'm, I'm being generous to God. And so what they would do is they would take these possessions and they would say, these are dedicated to God and I, I'll have to just use what minimal things I can help you with and not bless you. But what they were doing was they weren't really, really, they weren't really giving them to God. What they were doing is they were saving them for themselves. And when it became convenient and they needed that possession, they would take the, the dedication off of it to God and use it for their own gain. You know what that sounds like? A cheater and a liar to me. What does it sound like to you? This was the church people, and they were saying, listen, this was dedicated to God, but now I need it, and I'm not going to take care of my mom and dad. Jesus calls them out. He calls them what? A hypocrite. (laughs) That's not a really nice word, is it? That's not a really complimentary thing. You see, he said, you're a hypocrite. Look what he says in verse 8. He said, Isaiah said this well, this people honors me with their lips, but their what? Heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. What happened was Jesus said, listen, you guys are worried about whether we washed our hands or not. How about the fact that you're stealing? How about the fact that you're stealing from God? How about the fact that you're not taking care of your family? How about the fact that you're lying and you're cheating and you've taken your traditions and you have warped the word of God into what you want it to be and that's not how it should be. You honor me with your lips, but not with your heart. Now before we throw all these guys under the bus, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse Think of me. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. When I think about that, you know, it's really easy to go, yeah, those guys were cheaters and liars and they were not taking care of their parents and, you know, God, Jesus was on them and he should be. But what about you? What about me? Have there been times when with your lips you have said the right thing? Maybe you go to church, maybe you're involved, maybe you're a volunteer, maybe, maybe you do all these good things and you give and you're a generous giver and you, you do all these things. You say, you know what, on the outside everything looks great, but what about the heart? When I stand and I sing that I, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do, I give him my heart, I give him my life, but then in reality we really don't. You serve me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You see, before I start throwing rocks and stones at these guys, I have to look at myself. But the key of the matter here is found in verse 8. Their heart is far from me. Jesus said, I don't want... Look at verse 8. It says, these people honor me with their lips. If words were important, would God not have said, hey, it's important for me to hear? I want to hear what you have to say. He didn't say that, did he? He said, their heart is far from me. You know what that means? Jesus doesn't want your lip service. He wants your heart service. Jesus doesn't want to hear the good things that you could say because I bet we could take a a test in this room and, and many of you could answer many biblical questions that are good and things that you should know and things that you should study and learn. But listen, if your heart's not in it, then you're off course. You see, in life, we tell people, hey, uh, if you're going to do something, make sure your heart's in it. What does that mean? It means you're giving it everything. It means you're trying your best. Uh, you know, if you're really in a relationship where you love someone, in a marriage relationship, you might say, I love you with all of my kidneys, right? No, what do you say? I love you with all of my heart. Why? 
Because that's the center of me. That's where my emotional, my spiritual center is. I mean, if you, if you wrote this card and said, baby, I love you with all my lungs. I mean, it shouldn't have the same ring, does it? I don't know. You know, I, I, I love you with my stomach. I, you know, I, I, that just doesn't sound right, does it? Why? Because the center of you is your heart. And you say, I love you with all of my heart. If, if someone's trying to make a decision, we tell them, listen, do what is in your heart. Why? Because when you make a decision from there, it's different, isn't it? When you begin to give your heart to something, it is, it is a deeper uh, commitment. It is a deeper commitment on, on uh, multi-levels in your life. Jesus said this about the heart in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. You know what that means? I'll tell you what it means. This dates me. When I was uh, in high school, uh, they used to have um, computers where you had to write the programs, okay? Uh, we don't do that anymore. You click a mouse or whatever, and I, you know, somebody off in a, in a basement somewhere, you know, with no light, they write all the programs, and we just, you know, click and buy and all that kind of stuff, and it's real easy. When I was learning how to use a computer, we actually wrote programs, and I, that's totally worthless for me today. I, I'm glad I wasted my time with that, but what I did learn is this. The computer teacher taught us that if you write a if you write a program that is garbage, you're going to get garbage back out. If you put something into a computer, it can only give back what you have given it. Okay? So if you put garbage into the program, you're going to get garbage out. Jesus said exactly the same thing. My computer teacher didn't know it, but she was biblical. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, if you store good things in your heart, then out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. If there's good in your heart, then your mouth will speak good. If there's evil in your heart, then your, your mouth will speak what? Evil. And so Jesus said, when, when you're following me, you, you need to put good into your heart. You need to, to do the right things. You need to be pouring good and not evil, not darkness. I heard a man one day who described it this way. He said, listen, in your life, you have a choice of doing one of two things. In your world, you can either breathe life or you can breathe death. Have you ever been around someone who breathes life? Man, I mean, they're just encouraging. It's, it's, not, like, it's not like they're being faith. They really, they really have the ability to, to lift you up, to encourage you. They have that gift because they have decided in their world that even when things are going wrong, that they're going to breathe life and not death. But what is it like being around that person who breathes death? It's not real encouraging, is it? It's, it's, it's actually pretty dark. Because everything is bad and evil and, and they're just breathing death on you. We need to be the kind of people that breathe life. Now Jesus isn't done. Look at verse 10. So he called the people to him and he said, listen, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended by what they were saying? Jesus didn't care that he offended anybody, did he? <laughs> he didn't care at all. He called them hypocrites. <laughs> he, he, he really threw them out to the wolves. I mean, he, he didn't care that he had offended him. The disciples thought, hey, listen, you're going to offend the wrong people. They're going to try to kill us. Jesus said, they're going to kill me anyway. Verse 13, he answered, 
Every plant that is that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are what? Blind guys. I mean, Jesus is not being very encouraging to them right now. He's telling them the truth. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He said, hey, leave these guys alone because they're blind. They don't see. Uh, Don't worry about them. Don't worry about the evil that they're saying. Don't, don't worry about, you know, he, he said it's not about washing your hands. You see, you, you got to understand this whole hand washing thing sounds ridiculous, but it was a tradition. And, and Moses had got to given it to Moses because God essentially gave them the way to live. And he said, listen, wash your hands because if you eat with dirty hands, then you'll eventually get sick, okay? But they had taken it to the next level. And they had a specific way and an amount of water and a way, a specific way that you had to wash your hands. And so literally you had to use a specific amount of water, do it for a certain amount of time, and you had to scrub your hands and and they had a specific way of how you poured the water and literally that you had to hold your hands up and if you bent your hands down, then your hands were dirty again because the water might run back down over your hand. I mean, it it was ridiculous. They They had taken it to a level that God never intended. In fact, there were some scribes and teachers in that day who actually believed that you had to wash the voodoo off your hands. You had to wash the evil spirits off your hands because they would get into your body and then they would, they would uh, make you evil. And Jesus is going, you guys are ridiculous. You guys are crazy. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what goes into your heart. Because what goes into your heart is what comes out of your mouth. Look at what he says, verse 15. Peter said, explain the parable. And he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes through your stomach and is expelled? That's a physical thing. If you don't understand that, reread it on your own. I'm not going to, we're in mixed company. Verse 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Here's what Jesus said. You guys are all worried about whether we use hand sanitizers before we eat. You guys are all worried about whether the water ran up or down. Here's what I want you to see. Your hands are clean, but your hearts are not. This is not the only time when Jesus confronted the Pharisees for their sin. In fact, in another passage, he said, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look fancy and shiny. On the inside, you're dead. Because the tradition of the church of that day had become equal to, if not more important than, the Word of God. Now, before we're overly critical about them, do we not see that today even in our world? Do we not see people who are following rituals rather than following Jesus? Do we not see people who are more worried about the physical appearance and less worried about what's going on in the heart? When I think about that, when I think about the importance of what Jesus has said to them, I think about me It's not about what I eat. It's not the 22 steps to do the right thing on the Sabbath day. It's not about uh, what what comes, uh, it's, it's not about what I put in my mouth. It's about what comes out of my mouth because what comes out of my mouth has come from my heart. When you look at verse eight, it is very obvious to me that God does not, he, he's not as concerned about the words that come from my lips. He is wanting to know the message that comes from my heart. And this morning, I want to challenge you that that 
proverb that we recited together, Proverbs 4.23, that says, Above all else, guard your heart because it is the wellspring of life. We need to know that our heart is the center. And when our heart is out of place, that we will never be in place. And for many of you, listen to me, for many of you in this room, you have been putting your heart into the wrong thing. You've been putting your heart into your work. There's nothing wrong with working hard. That's biblical. It says to provide for your family to work hard and to do well. But that's not where your heart should be centered. For some of you, you're putting hearts into gaining possessions. You're putting your heart into trying to be a powerful person. Here's what I want you to know. God wants your heart. And if you're going to give your heart to something, give it to the good that Jesus wants to fill your heart with. Now, as we close this morning, I want to give you Four things that I believe that God wants us to do and how we need to use our heart. The first one is this, that we need to learn to love from your heart. We need to learn to love from our heart. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, Jesus was asked, hey, listen, we, we see the whole law, okay? We, and, and these people who are asking Jesus questions, you need to know that they, they know the law, okay? They could recite the Ten Commandments to you. Most of these Pharisees and scribes that are confronting Jesus could quote the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew it. But here's what he was saying. He, they said, what's the most important thing? What, what's the most important message? And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. The center of who you are. You need to love. In that verse, he said, there's, there's essentially two things. Love God with all your heart and, and love people. That's the center of it. So we need to learn to love from our heart. You know, when I was a kid, sometimes my parents, I, I have one older sister and two younger brothers. And sometimes my parents would come to me and they say, I want you to tell your, your brothers and your sisters that you love them. And you would go, yeah, I love you. And they would break into tears and be overwhelmed by my compassion and love for them. And they would just be, you know, just make a difference in their life, right? There's a difference between when I'm being forced to tell somebody I love them and when I really do love them. One of the greatest moments in my life was the times that I got to lead both of my brothers to Christ. I can remember sitting in a room uh, on a bunk bed with my brother and leading him to Christ. I can remember being in a camp and leading my other brother to Christ. Those are moments when I said, I love you enough to tell you about Jesus. That's love. They knew I loved them. Those other times when I was forced to, it didn't really mean anything. In those moments, I proved my love. Listen, loving from your heart makes a difference to God, and to other people. The second thing is we need to learn to sing from our heart. Now, when, when I listen to people sing, I mean, I'm just, I'll just be honest. We're going to talk about jealousy anyway. I'm just jealous of Jeffrey. He gets up here. I can't even, I'm playing the guitar over here. I'm not singing because I'm mad. I'm just singing because I can't play the guitar and sing at the same time. And if I did sing, you wouldn't want me to sing, okay, because it, it makes the dogs get all stirred up and they howl and everything. And when I hear someone who can sing and is talented in that way, I'm just, I, I just wish I could. I wish I had that kind of voice. I wish I was talented in that way. But Jesus didn't say, hey, only sing praises, only worship me if you have a really good voice. He said, sing from your what? Heart. 
And so I haven't really cleared this with Jeffrey, but listen, even if you stink at singing, when you're here on Sunday mornings, you just sing all you want to because you're not here to impress your neighbor. You're here to impress who? God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to, the, to, the, to God the Father through Him. Here's what I want you to know. Sing with your heart. Sing with all of your heart. If you see me driving around in town and you think I'm crazy because there's nobody in the truck and I'm talking to somebody, I'm either praying or I may be singing because that's the only environment that I'm completely in control of and nobody can tell me to shut up because there's nobody else in there, okay? So I may be singing praises then. But when you sing, sing with all of your heart. Give God everything that you have. The question I have for you this morning is what's the song that your life is singing? What, what do people hear? What, what is the music that emanates from your soul? The third thing is this. Not only do we need to love from your heart, not only do you need to sing from your heart, but you need to obey from your heart. Now this is tough. Because Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we are all under authority. That, that doesn't even sound fun, does it? Okay, it doesn't, I mean, it, it's not like Disneyland fun. Under authority sounds to me like being pressed down. I don't know about you. But Paul says that in every relationship, in every uh, work environment, in every world environment, that we are under authority. And he uses the words of, he, he uses the illustration of servants or slaves. And he says this, listen to Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. He says, servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Here's what this means. You probably have a boss. And that boss may be a good person or that boss may be a bad person. Here's what I want you to know. Paul says that we are to respect and honor them as we would the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is tough, isn't it? Because some of your bosses are, are like, you, you're not too sure they are not the devil, okay? You, I mean, they may, the devil may be my boss. I'm not really sure. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus didn't say, hey, if they're a jerk, you don't, have to, you don't have to respect them. He said, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're under authority, then you need to respect the authority and you need to love them in a way that Jesus would want you to love them as if he, Jesus is your boss. Now, I'm not telling you that's easy. In fact, I'm telling you it's going to be very hard. But God will honor that and he will bless. What if God's going to use you to be that person who breathes life into their life that is dark. The fourth thing is this, that we need to learn to give from the heart. <laughs> um, I, I think this is one of the most important things that we can do from the heart, is learning to give, to, to be generous. Listen to what Paul told uh, the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He said, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Here's what I want you to know. And some people think this is dangerous for a pastor to say, but I'm not scared at all. Listen, if you ever decide you want to give on Sunday morning and you feel bad about that, 
just keep it because God doesn't want it. What God wants is a what? Cheerful giver. What God wants is a generous heart. When we learn to give from the heart, that's an exciting thing. When you learn to give, and and it's not because you have to, but because you want to, when you get to that place and you, you say, Pastor, I'm not wealthy. Listen, some of the most generous people I know have nothing. I'm telling you, if you, I've heard people say, you know what, if I ever got rich, I'm going to be really generous. If you're not generous now, this scripture says you'll never be generous. Do you hear what it says? Those who, uh, who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's what that means. If you're stingy now, God's not going to give you more to give. Here's how most of us live our life. We've got our money clutched in our hands and we're like, I'm not letting anybody in here. I mean, we don't get really excited about dealing with money for the most part. I mean, it's not like somebody gets up every morning and say, woohoo, I get to pay the gas bill. Awesome. It rocks. I mean, if you do that, you're weird and you should pay all of our bills because we hate paying bills, okay? In fact, whatever I can just get to go through my checking account and me not see, that's the way I want to do it. But when I get to give, And I get to give in a way that, I'll tell you the best giving I like to give is anonymously, where nobody even knows it's me. And then we can just blame it on Jesus. Isn't that cool? When you get to bless someone and and they don't even know where it came from. Where did that come from? God, God just provided that. That's awesome. That's amazing. You see, God wants us to have that generous heart because we serve a generous God. You see, for those of you who know Christ, what has been infused into your life is the presence of Jesus, and Jesus is a generous God. God only knows how to do things amazing and incredible. He has been generous enough to forgive us. He's been generous enough to give us grace and mercy and love and forgiveness, and God wants us, instead of being uh, standing here like this with all that we have, God wants us to learn to live like this. What if you begin to take your possessions, and instead of living with a closed fist, that you live with an open hand? You know what the scripture says? The scripture says that when you, when you are, are, are open with your hands, that God will refill your hands. Now, don't hear this. Some people say that, that this is kind of a name it, claim it type of scripture where, hey, if I give God $10, then he's going to give me $100. I don't think that's what this says. What I think this says is that when we are generous, that God is generous back, that God will continue to refill your cup so that you can give it away. You don't have to be a millionaire to be generous. You can be generous this afternoon with $5. You can be generous in the way that you give of yourself. You can be generous in the way that you use your possessions for God's glory. We need to learn to be generous from the heart because when we give, God loves a what? Cheerful giver. He doesn't want a stingy and mad and, oh, I got to do this because I'm obligated to do that. Listen, if that's the way you give, just keep it because you need to learn to have joy when you give. Let me close in this way by telling you a story. There's a story in your Bible about a man named David. David was a king. He was very wealthy. He had a, he, he had a great deal of power. David had a beautiful family. And yet one day, David made a mistake. And he stood out on the, uh, the porch of his house. And he saw a woman who was not his wife. And he wanted her. And he had the power to get her. And he convinced her to come, and he um, committed adultery with her, and then to try to cover up his sin, killed her husband, and caused a great deal of stress and strife for the rest of his life and his family. David made a big mistake. 
And in Psalm chapter 51, David came, David the king, David who had power, David who had influence, David who literally could do whatever he wanted. He made that mistake and he came before God in Psalm chapter 51. He said, God, listen, if I could sacrifice enough bulls to pay for the sins that I committed, I would do that. If, if it meant crushing me, crushing my bones, crushing my spirit, I would do that. But God, that's not what you want. What you want from me is to give you my heart. And in Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, he said, God, would you create in me a clean and a pure heart? Here's what I want you to know. We've got a world full of people who are trying to fill their heart, and it's an empty, empty place. Everything they put in it, nothing, nothing fits. Every time they try to fill it up, it doesn't fit. You know why? Because their heart will never be filled by anything other than Jesus. And they try to fill it with things and they try to fill it with experience and they try to fill it with, with money or, or power or whatever and it never fits. Why? Because that's never what was intended to be there. Here's what I want you to know. God wants to fill your heart. But my question is who has your heart? What have you been trying to fill your heart with? There is a battle for your heart. That's why we've entitled this sermon series, Enemies of the Heart, because there is a battle to attack your heart. And here's what I want you to know. God wants to win your heart. He wants you to have that clean and that pure heart. You can't get it anywhere else. I wish I could just wave my hand over you and say, your hearts are all clean, but I can't do that. The only place you're going to get a clean heart is at the cross of Jesus Christ. The only place you're going to find forgiveness for your sins is, is, is at the foot of the cross and when you allow the blood of Jesus to cover your sins. I can't do it for you. You have to do it. And so today, if you come in here and you say, Pastor, listen, my heart is dark. My heart is filled with all the wrong things. And today, I want to be whiter than snow. Isaiah told us that God has the power to make your heart as white as snow. Though it be red like crimson, it shall be as wool, clean, pure, holy. If you want that today, Jesus can give you that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you, if, you've, if you need to give Jesus your heart, if you want that pure and holy heart, if you want that clean uh, heart, if you want to ask as David did that you would have a clean heart, oh God, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And all you have to do is, is believe in your heart that God is real and that he can do that work in your heart. And when you pray this prayer and you mean it, then God will make a difference in your life. You can just silently pray with, with me. Just repeat it in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for never giving up on my dark heart. Today, I give you all of me I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins, to come into my heart, to be my Lord and Savior, and to save me. When you pray that prayer, Jesus has said that he will save you, he will cleanse you, and he will forgive you. If you did that this morning, then that pure heart can be yours. Jesus can give you that second chance. For many of us, we may know Jesus. We may have him in our heart, but man, our heart is far from God. We serve Jesus with our lips, but we don't serve him with our heart. 
And so today, if that's you, and you're far away, your heart's in a different place, and you need to give your heart back to Jesus, I'm going to pray for us that God would bring us back home. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you never give up on us. God, we, we sometimes make a royal mess of our life. But God, today I pray for those of us who have been serving you with our lips, but not with our heart. Our heart's been in the wrong place. We have lost the battle on a daily basis by giving our heart to something else. Lord, would you help us to come home today and that we would give our heart to you. And Lord, that you would clean, clean it up. Lord, that you would make it pure and you would make it white as snow. And God, that you would make us more like you. Lord, we're sorry, but today we want to come home and gain repentance and forgiveness and the grace and mercy that can only come from you. Lord, for those who just a moment ago may have prayed that prayer to ask Jesus in their heart, I pray that you would give them the courage this morning to tell someone that they've chosen to follow Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you did pray that prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, on the card that's in your seat, I would encourage you, there's a place on there to say, I'd like more information about becoming a Christian. If you just ask Christ into your heart this morning, we would love to walk with you in that journey of, of learning, to me, learn, learning what it means to follow Christ. And so mark that on your card, put your name and your address on there, and we'll contact you this week and how, how you can walk closer with Christ.